Hello, welcome to uh, another episode of Elixir Mix. Today I'm hosting, this is Alan Wyma, and we have Adi Angar on the panel. Hello. And our very special guest, Renee. I forgot to ask how you say your last name. Do you mind to maybe say it for me? It's Renee Froling. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult for me. I'm not the best in German. Uh... <laughs> Although, yeah, it's. Are you also based out of Berlin too, or you're around there? No, I'm, you know? I'm in the westernmost part of Germany, right on the border to the Netherlands and France. Okay, because I came back from Code Beam and I was hoping to see you there, but I don't think you were there, right? No, I wasn't. I was. I am actually planning to to be at some events next year because I. I really was surprised how much I am not into stepping into a room with 300 people after being taught for three years not to do that. But I was at, at our Christmas party from our company and there were like 400 people and I think I'm now set to go to conferences again. Yeah, that's too bad because I would love to, love to have you there because uh, I'm really fascinated by Credo and I'm also kind of curious about how the whole thing works. But maybe we should kind of step back because maybe not everybody knows about you know, what is Credo or even using Credo. I actually just started using Credo quite recently. A couple of things I like, a couple of things I dislike, but I do like that it is extendable and you can change it to your, your liking, which is very nice compared to the initial version of the formatter, right? Maybe you can do a quick introduction about what is Credo and why you created it and what people should be using it for. Sure. So Credo is a static analysis tool for the Elixir programming language, which highlights uh, refactoring opportunities and readability issues and other things where code can be improved it was born out of a out of a frustration of mine with uh, the existing tooling and yeah it was actually jose who prompted me uh, to or who reinforced my my desire to build something different from the existing tooling because he tweeted at the time maybe you are wrong is uh, enough for talented singers and developers. It is really far from enough for the majority of us. We need some guidance. And that was always something that frustrated me about uh, the typical linter, who's always just shouting at you that you're not allowed to do that and you should stop doing that other thing. But there wasn't so much reasoning or explanations around why, why is this bad. And the other thing I always thought that would be great is what then became Kratos consistency checks, which just look at what are you doing in the projects in terms of naming or even something like tabs and spaces and so forth, and then tells you when you're seemingly violating your own guidelines. Yes. And that started eight years ago, and it's been a tremendous journey for me and I hope for other people who have contributed as well. You know way more about Credo than me. I just started using it. So I'm a, what would you call somebody who's new to Credo? Is it a, a credologist in, uh, in, in apprenticeship or what would you call that? Credorgen. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in the beginning of Elixir, we had this discussion in the community, what the Elixir programmers should be called like. And some people voted for alchemists because we are mixing the elixir and some people voted for elixirists. And I think it was Chris from the Phoenix framework who always insisted we're just elixir programmers, people just calm down. And, and I think over time I sort of swung to this uh, interpretation of things. So somebody new at Credo is just somebody new at Credo. I like alchemist, to be honest. That, Me too. That's a pretty sweet word. 
you know, but I see what you're saying. Adi, sorry, I cut you off. It's, like I said, you're the, you, you've used it way more than me and you have a lot of strong opinions about it compared to me. Oh, oh no, I just wanted to, I mean, Renee gave a perfect intro of Credo. I just wanted to, because a lot of our listeners are beginners and I wanted to just like highlight, you know, how cool and important it is. It's, you know, like a, a great way to save time. So here's an example, right? Like we, at my work, we sometimes leave similar comments in every pull request. Hey, don't use underscore underscore module this way, or don't have this, don't use this function at, th- at these places, whatever that is, right? Whenever you feel like you're doing it at multiple pull requests, like it, in a, on a periodic basis, that's a good sign that you should be automating that, right? And it's great to have something like Credo where it takes you 10 minutes to write a custom check if you know how to manipulate the ASTs or Elixir, which is just a three-element tuple. And you can automate that part and it actually saves you a lot of time because then before the pull request is ready for review, all those checks can fail and the developer can themselves fix it, right? And it, it helps you with standardization as well. Because what happens if you're not the one reviewing the pull request, you're on, on, on a leave and someone else doesn't catch that. So it's a, it's a nice implicit documentation in a way of like how you should, you know, what your patterns are and a static analysis, it's a way to standardize that. So just wanted to give an example to the listeners who might not understand the importance as it's, it might not be obvious to them the importance of this, but it is creators a very, very important tool. Definitely something that's like part of my initial Elixir or Phoenix template. Like it's, it's just right there. And I pretty much always have it in all projects. I also think it's, it's important that uh, Credo allows for explanations in checks. So you can, you have a place where you can write down why you don't want to use underscore, underscore, module, underscore, underscore in that places uh, and what yeah. the reasoning behind that is. And that is also something that um, I've I've uh, given talks about pre-COVID, like how common the, the usage of linters. And so when when I started my career, we did not have, this sounds like I'm, I'm a grandfather already. Um, when I started my career, we did not have CI pipelines and CD deployment strategy workflows. And today I get the impression that every new workplace I, I come to, there are these pipelines, there are workflows, there is some kind of code analysis done. And that is, of course, overall a very, very good thing because it enables discussing code quality issues within teams more openly and transparently. It just also sort of comes with this burden to not this is not it's just a means to an end and sometimes i also encountered teams where they just copied some configuration of the internet from google or airbnb or the the current hot startup and basically said okay if this eslint config is good enough for airbnb then it has to be good enough for us and i think it's it's always important when you're using a tool or code analysis or test coverage or whatever to have an idea what you what you are looking for and what you are hoping to achieve and that is why your example is is really good to say we we have this recurring problems due to certain aspects of the code and we can write a custom check to enforce that behavior but not for enforcement's sake and once you start asking these questions, it's also easy to come up with a follow-up. So what are we actually training people for? Are we just training people for no issues with Credo or 100% test coverage? 
or are we trying to to accomplish something more specifically like we want to avoid having these and th those problems and that's also i think it's kind of on how do you say it in english on on the knife's edge you on the one hand you have all these rules and they are great but they don't have to necessarily be great for your team or your use case and then you have to make a decision an informed decision and we can all hope that credo does its part to make that that part visible that there is a decision to be made you can't go to a hardware store and buy a hammer and then be convinced that that is the tool for everything you have to do around the house yeah i think i think that's definitely well said i was just taking a look at how to actually create one of these checks because there is a couple of things that keep popping up in a couple of projects that it, I think I probably should be uh, taking a look at. I also do like the, that you have the ability to configure them. Some of these ones that you can do certain things, which is pretty cool. One thing I thought was a little bit strange is instead of it's just like an only like enabled part, you have like enabled and I think a disabled or there's like another section. There's another like, there's like three sections, I think, when you have a config file for yep. Credo, which I think was a little bit, and it's nice because you can see all the ones that are available, but it just seems like to me, it'd just be, well, if I just commented out that it would just be disabled, but you also have a disabled section, I believe, right? Yeah, so the thing is, everything that is in enabled is enabled. And if you comment it out, it's no longer enabled, but you can also move it to disabled And the um, benefit is, for example, you have a check with a set of specific parameters configured, but you don't want to run it all the time. Then you can put it in disabled with your set of parameters and then use a command line switch to re-enable it. And then it will be using the parameters that you put there. So it's like if I had a custom check that was really taxing in time or effort, then I could put that on the CI only, things like that. That could be another use case. Yeah. Or, or for example, there is a spaces versus tabs uh, check. And if you sometimes, not every day, but sometimes want to see the world burning, you could set it to enforce tabs, but only run it on Christmas. Are you a tabs or a spaces kind of guy? Oh, I think that is a discussion that's not really, that's, that's way too politically loaded. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's spaces because we are not animals. I don't know what to say about that one, but I, <laughs> yeah, definitely, I'm a, I'm a big soft spaces fan. I think it's I'm, I I did have an issue many years ago when I was working with Python, and from then on, I actually started caring about tabs and spaces and how many spaces. It, it was a still haunts my dreams sometimes. But I, yeah, I didn't actually know that about the running it like that. That's interesting. It'd be interesting to to run. But most of the checks they actually run quite quickly. I think running the checks in like couple of seconds, but we don't have that much code probably compared to some other projects. But yeah, I can imagine that you maybe want to disable some checks and only run them at CI time. Yeah, also it, it fluctuates with every new OTP release. So mm. we just recently merged uh, some optimizations into the newest version of Credo, which just came out right before Christmas because it was getting very slow on OTP 26.1 or something. And 1.16 kind of changed some things. I, I know it, I didn't know that there were some configuration changes for the logger, but I had an issue with some checks suddenly failing. I think for the Phoenix has like, you had to make sure that you declare those keys, but I declared them already within the config or logger. But I guess that's changed with somewhat. We, we, also, we also merged uh, a pull request that uh, regarding that and some false positives. Yeah. That's also in Credo 1.7.2. Okay, so it actually was a, a fix that was actually for that one. I think so. Yeah, I, I do remember you talking about that one and, and, and somebody said, oh, that's changed. So that was useful. Yeah, I do see a lot of things suddenly throwing up errors recently with 1.16. I'm curious if there's been other, other big changes you had to make 
for 1.16 uh, with Credo. Yeah, so with the with the minor releases of Elixir, it's always sort of necessary to to upgrade Credo to the latest patch version because we always have to do a bit of work to make it fit. But it's it's really interesting how little work is necessary. So I think the stewardship of the Elixir core team around the stability of the APIs and how the abstract syntax tree is structured, etc., that's all been super good for uh, building an analysis tool. Because in in other tools in the Ruby world, for example, the the parser the parser changes like every I don't know four or five years. You get a new parser that's currently the parser to use and they all don't produce the exact same kind of AST and I think everybody doing AST work in Elixir has been kind of blessed that things are amazingly stable for the last 10 years. Yeah, but it sounds like you already have your hands full with minor versions of Elixir and also uh, versions of OTP changing, right? Yeah, but minor versions in Elixir come twice a year and are sometimes feel like what, what would be major versions in other languages. So I'm I'm mm-hmm. not complaining about anything regarding that. I'm actually kind of curious about, because you have so many checks already included. Obviously, you didn't start off with so many checks. I mean, how many did you start off with and how do you decide if there should be a check that should be included within the standard language? library or within the standard set of checks, I guess I could say, not the standard library. So I think we started with around 50 checks. And the thing is also that, um, so we started with around 50 checks. And at the very beginning, it was also about what do we need to offer the potential users so that they would consider switching to Credo because Credo wasn't the first linter in Elixir. There was a cool uh, tool called Dogma, which was aiming at being the Rubocop for Elixir, which I also contributed to. I think I'm still the second most uh, contributor in uh, in that tool. And Credo actually started off as a wrapper around Dogma for the very first, not version, but the very first attempts in the in the repository. And then I realized that I couldn't do consistency checks with the execution model of Dogma. And then I decided, okay, let's let's try this. And if this doesn't convince people that much that they are willing to switch the tool, then I bet the farm on that. But I was still young back then. And so there are some checks in Credo, and I won't name them, that I probably wouldn't have included if it wasn't for this sort of expectation that I anticipated from the community. For example, I'm still not sure, so I will name one, I'm still not sure if cyclomatic complexity is actually an applicable metric that programmers in large real-world projects really care about. I think that's something intermediate to more advanced developers would care about. Because this is something that I've ran into recently because I am aware that you could have a cyclical error where Things are depending upon each other and you cannot compile it, right? So it'd be good to see that as soon as possible. Even if it's not causing a, a compiler error at the time, it'd still be good to see that, hey, you're not using web within your app context and and at the same time going the other way around, right? It should be just, just a single line going forward. Yeah, but I think what I'm trying to say is just that the decision what goes into the set of standard checks was made at the time, in in the context of that time, and I think it, if there would ever be a Credo 2.0, we could probably revisit the standard checks and make a community survey or something and try to 
to make them more applicable to what most of the people are actually looking for in today's landscape. Okay. Well, it's uh, funny you mentioned Dogma. I was looking it up and actually I do remember Dogma from quite a while ago. I just knew it as the formatter, right? Is it, isn't that right? It seems like it did formatting and some type of linting. I think it's, just did linting. Okay, because I looked it up and it was it's written by yeah by Louis uh, and Louis also yeah. made a formatter. Okay, because I'm reading the description is talking about linting. Sorry, there's some truck beeping outside. If you guys hear that or not? Yeah, interesting. I think I do remember there being two linters for some time at least. So it's interesting to hear. At what point did this become its own, you know, entity? You said it was basically wrapped around Dogma. Yeah, during the very early stages of development and before I released. 0.1, I decided that it would be, let's say, simply easier to, to try to come up with an execution model that would support the consistency checks instead of trying to, to merge those changes into dogma just so I could have my own little wrapper library use those internals. But I think it's also very important to mention because uh, you you mentioned that that formatter that Louis wrote and he also is the author of um, Mixed Test Watch, which loads of people have been using. And it, it's always important to mention that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants and there would be no credo if there hadn't been dogma before it. And I think I, I learned so much working on Dogma that I was able to produce the results I needed for Credo in the end. And so none of us is a genius. We're all building on the work that came before us. And this Credo is only working on Elixir, right? Do you plan to support other Beam languages? Not at this time. I have to admit that I don't dabble too much in other Beam languages up until now. And I think with uh, becoming a father this year, it's also not the perfect time to start with that. But it would be interesting because I'm not really sure how applicable this is. So if Credo would do analysis of the object files, of the beam files, that would be more or less a no-brainer. But since Credo is actually reading the source code, using the provided utilities from Elixir, it would basically have to be rewritten in LFE or other Beam languages in Erlang. And I'm not as familiar with those as I am with Elixir. I dabbled a bit in Erlang, but yeah. Now, when you're running, when you're creating Credo, right, I do say that you also created Bunt, and I actually ran the old version of Bunt recently with something. I find it interesting, obviously, that you have this library that prints these ANSI colors. Now, was Bunt something created because of Credo? Because obviously you're yeah. using that within Credo. Yeah. So I don't remember what exactly it was, but there was something missing in IONC in the uh, Elixir standard library at the time. And I'm pretty sure it has been added since. So I would have to admit that despite the nice configurability features where you can give colors names and then use those names, if we would create Credo like today, we wouldn't need Bund. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with running Credo. I'm just still trying to get my my hands around it. It's interesting that you taught me about the uh, the disabled part. There's nothing that I think I want to run separately because my one of the things that we really dis, really dislike is like when you work on the code, it's running great. You run mixed tests, you maybe run mixed Credo, and then you push it, and then you're like, oh crap, I forgot to run mixed format, which looks like you did today because I did see you did a commit just for mixed format. So like having checks that don't run 
all the time when you're running Mixed Credo recently would, would definitely be a bothersome because you'd be like, oh, I didn't check this one. And so, yeah, that, that definitely is, is interesting to know still. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have any more questions at the time. I mean, Adi, uh, how about you? Yeah. I mean, I was curious about, Alan, what you, you said that some things you like and some things you don't. I'm assuming it was just uh, disabled and enabled because I could not think of something I don't like about Credo. I guess like one thing, you know, maybe maybe the execution time, but I guess just the way it's written with ASTs, I don't know, it would be, very, maybe it'd be harder to write custom checks at, the, at, at that expense if you try to make it faster, but whatever. I think one thing I'm super excited about, I haven't used 1.7 and I saw that you added the ability to pass files now, right? Yep. And that with like git diff and like new files that go into a specific branch can like effectively speed up your credo checks, right? Like, uh, is that what like prompted you to do that? Yeah. So the the main argument was that you you can use I think it's git diff dash dash only names, and then you get just the file names. And and I thought it's it's a, such a pity that you can't just put that into credo, like make these commands interoperable in let's say a POSIX style environment. Right. And I I was never able to to figure it out and it was super easy in the end how to do it. But people asked me for it for like three or four years and I was al always saying, hey, I would love to merge a PR for this, but I was always seeing the the flaws in what people came up with, like just treating everything that's passed as an argument vector as as a file name for every command. And that would break plugins who are having their own argument interpretation things going on. And yeah, so Credo 1.7, uh, I think also had a, a performance uh, boost and 1.7.2 now got the one specifically for for the newer versions of OTP. Awesome. Yeah, and I, I think the git diff name only, I think it's on, it only gives the change files, right? Not the new ones yeah. too. That's yeah. the problem with that too. So this, this ability to pass file names allows us to customize it on how we want to use it and also parallelize it. You know, we can like, uh, whatever, Circle CI, like you can use the Circle CI parallel worker and like parallelize security checks too because we have a ridiculous number of files. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's pretty exciting. I'm very, I'm very looking forward to using this. It's a very, very cool feature. I also see, I also haven't used 1.6. I'm like quite behind a couple minor versions behind. I also saw that you have the, the option for you had the option for diff, but I think it looks like there was also a first run option. I'm curious how that works. Do you have like an existing file that tracks or do you actually just use Git to track it? Because I guess like first run looks like would run everything, but then why not just run Mixed Credo? What does first run do? So first run is supposed to be run when you want to add Credo to an existing project and want to get some input, what configuration options could be a, a good idea to sort of tame the madness of getting 1000 issues thrown at you. And there are a couple of concepts how different linters handle these. And what I thought would be a, a good idea is to be able to talk to the developer setting up Credo. And when you run Mix Credo first run, you get a couple of suggestions, what you can do, which checks you could ignore for the time being, and how you can use Mix Credo diff to just look at the differences from the current commit going forward and things like that. So it's more or less, um, it asks Credo to give you some some input, what it thinks that, uh, for example, if you get 1000 module doc warnings because you don't 
put a module doc anywhere, it will simply recommend to you. Maybe you'd want to disable it. Gotcha. Nice. I have never used that. So that's a good thing to know. Very cool. And it looks like it, it is. it was added in 1.6 and I've not used 1.6 yet. It's a lot of effort for me to update my career versions because I have this template that I use for all the projects. So maybe, maybe I'll just bump to 1.7 now. The, the file names is a huge, huge reason to do that. Yeah. I guess like Alan, I have some questions about Inch. If you want to get to that, I'm, I'm all set with Credo. Uh, again, like with like Renee, I feel like there's like so many packages and <laughs> libraries. You could keep talking about it, but I think Inch is another one that I add to almost all my projects. I don't, I don't know if you've used it, Alan. No, no, I haven't. I, maybe you can tell me more about this. I'm still learning. You know, I think this is my first day using Elixir. Basically, I feel like every time I join this podcast. Yeah, I guess like uh, Renee, do you want to give a overview of Inch? You were telling me before we started recording that you started it in Ruby first, and then you know Elixir, and maybe the Elixir one also used Ruby initially. Maybe you could give an overview of that. Yeah, so so Inch is a project I started before Credo, and Inch tries to measure the documentation in a project. There are versions for Ruby. Elixir and TypeScript. And it starts from the premise that not everything in a project is uh, equally important to document and that there might even be things in a project that don't need to be documented. So it takes sort of a, a relative approach. And that also started from, from the same feeling that I already described for Credo. So there were some, uh, for example, code documentation generators that had sort of a linting flag in their executable. And then they would also just shout at you, look, here are 200 objects in your code that you could document, but you haven't. And that doesn't carry any meaning, I thought. And I I was writing my PhD thesis at the time and uh, was looking for something to procrastinate on that. And so I instead started Inch to look at the source code of that project and where I would need to document it better. And then Inch just applies um, relative reasoning and and weighing of sorts that it says, okay, a top-level namespace probably needs to be documented more so than a function deep down in sort of the fifth level namespace. And with all those rules, then you get a priority list like, look, here are lots of things that are not documented, but maybe you want to look at these five for start. You could almost add this to Credo now. Couldn't you run some of this as a custom check or it cannot parse the comments? Yeah, fun fact, I gave a talk directly before COVID in November of 2019 where we write a Credo inch check in the talk and it's also on GitHub, I think. Does Credo uh, have access to the module attributes? I I can't remember because it's just the AST, right? Like, uh, I'm not sure if we get module attributes in it. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So so Inch actually looks at the Beam files because ah. the docu, you, you can compile Elixir applications to include the documentation in the Beam files. Hmm. I think it's even the standard way of compiling. And then Inch for Elixir looks into the Beam files. And that is also why this has to be a plugin for Credo because gotcha. one, one of Credo's premises is that it just looks at source code. Hmm. Interesting. How would you, I don't want to, I'll watch your talk. I'm, I'm, I'm quite interested into how, you know, how would the files include all those things that work with Credo with this, with the Inch reading the source, uh, the, the actual source code and not reading the source code. But yeah. I'll, I'll watch that talk. That's that's that must be pretty cool. And I think a lot of the uh, philosophy that that I discovered or that I formed around this idea of okay, documentation is 
I always said documentation in, in a project oftentimes feels like a city guide. So when you're in a foreign city and you have a guide and if he's good, then it's good. And if he's bad, most of the time, it's still better than nothing. And with documentation, I always felt the same way. Even if some parts are outdated or something, having absolutely nothing there is, is sometimes very frustrating. And this idea that a bit of of documentation in terms of a comment here and there in plain English, two or three sentences about why a class has been introduced or why this function has this function signature can go a really long way to onboard new programmers and also to be sort of a backup for your future self who revisits that code three years from now. And I, I'm super glad that I was able to to carry over that sentiment to Credo and code analysis in general. And that is also where this, um, I want to have a linter that gives me options, that explains its reasoning, and that has a concept of relativity in a sort of way. That's where that came from. Has there ever been a check that has been too difficult to implement that you've tried? Well, one thing that we we haven't gotten to to work uh, in a sufficient way, which I I think we are trying for a couple of years now, is is an auto fixer because we we don't have we haven't come up with a way to manipulate manipulate files in a way that we can then patch the AST without for example, then running the formatter on the new AST. So when you have a, a check that, uh, for example, says you have to have consistent spacing around tuples. So if you make a space at the beginning of a tuple and at the end of a tuple, you should do it everywhere. That would be one thing where an auto fixer would be perfect. So you don't get a CI failure because in one file out of 1200 files, you forgot to put a space in there and the uh, mix format also did not do it for you or something. Then you would not want to have the whole file reformatted. You just would want to manipulate that one line. And we haven't really made progress on that. And that I think is is one of those to-dos that are hanging there. I think one check or one tool that I've been trying to do, I'm trying to use, I try to use creative for that, but that's where I realized maybe I would need something else. Sorry, Alan, I I need something, but I'm just going to answer along the same lines that was, that's been very hard for me. It's kind of what uh, Renee, you were talking about, like documentation, being up to date with like functions and stuff, right? Like if a function is changed, documentation should change, right? A, a check that checks that. And I've taken a few different approaches for that, like Git dev being a huge component of that. And I've not been able to do that. I probably only spent like a couple of days on it, but it's it's been something that's been on my mind, especially for the some of my personal projects where I really keep the documentation up to date. And it's also like a challenge, right? Like how can we build this tool that forces a module doc or a, a function doc to at least to be updated or at least be, you know, there should be like a magic comment or something as part of git that doesn't do that check right i'm not sure if you've like dabbled with that yeah i think we so as part of inch i i dabbled with a lot of approaches to also evaluate language and look if if the doc string seems like a well phrased um thing explaining and not just to do document this but I've come to the conclusion that this is trying to make something quantifiable that's not necessarily a, a quanti quantifiable problem. It's a, it's a quality problem. And this goes back to what what are we looking for when we are using analysis tools? It's oftentimes about mastering complexities. 
because most software grows over time. And while we all like to pretend that we're, that none of what we do is rocket science, it's also true that the complexity of software projects increases with every new feature. And soon we are faced with this hairy ball of complexity. And introducing analysis tool is also about managing expectations. So regarding our source code and its potential, and we, we have to keep ourselves from forming opinions based off of linter results. And I think if we had something that um, tries to gauge the language quality of a documentation string, for which there are approaches in scientific literature, then we would go into a direction where we are starting to have team leaders and team managers come to you and say, oh, I looked at the dashboards and you only got uh, three out of five regarding your doc string quality something. And that is probably also a direction I would not want to go in or at least not help make these qualitative things that quantifiable that makes sense i do i do think there is still a balance of that qual qualitative and quantitative I, I think you can write this check in a way that can still produce results that would be useful but i, I mean it's more of a challenge at this point it's probably you'll probably hit diminishing returns very fast like like i said it, it would not give the returns of the effort but yeah and there is also a, a big difference of introducing something into the tool as a core component which is then available to everybody and sort of carries the sentiment that everybody maybe should even use it. Or if you develop something for your team, because everybody on the team gets where you're coming from as a team and why you introduced this and when maybe not when to ignore it, because it's just not right uh -huh. uh, every time, but maybe 99% of the time. It's just important that what we w should get from using analysis tools is, is a sense of improvement, that it actually helps yeah. making things better and prevents some errors. So people should be able to shoot themselves in the foot a little less, which again is why I really liked your example of a custom check with the use of the, of the module constant. And what we need to avoid uh, with, with linter setups that are very strict and copied from the internet in an unreflected way is that we, that we get to the other side where these self-imposed restrictions might even prevent improvement. Makes sense. Hey, Alan, I do have to hop, but if you don't have anything else, maybe we can do picks. Yeah, we can go over to picks, I think, unless there's anything else. And here we go on over to picks. Adi, since you're in a rush, go ahead. Yeah, I guess I don't have any big picks today. I, I can do a bit of a self-promotion. So th there's this like project that my wife and I wrote for SpawnFest this year. It's called Heimdall. What it does is, if you guys have used uh, Snap Pass you know, a way to share passwords securely through internet or any information securely through internet with other people. This is like a, in my eyes, a better version of SnapPass. You can add a password to it. You can add RSA, public-private encryption. You can use public key to, you know, encrypt and the receiver can use private key to decrypt. You can send information to someone with a specific IP filter. So anyway, check out Heimdall. It's it's under SpawnFest organization. It's also deployed to my one of my domains and I can share the links to that in the show notes. Uh, but that's a bit of promotion here. Okay. I don't know. Should I go first or last? I forget how the heck we go. Do we have guests first? Yeah, guests before the host, yeah. Yeah, please, uh, Dr. Renee. Yeah, so my pick would be a hex package called Sorcerer, 
which is an alternative AST, not necessarily parser, but a library that tries to bring about AST manipulation in an approachable way. And I think that could finally help us uh, achieve the Credo autofix thing I talked about earlier. Okay. And for me, let's just look at the word sorcerer. I had, to, I had to check. Somehow I spelled it correctly the first time. That's a really tricky word to even say, sorcerer. How to spell it? I mean, Renee, can you actually spell that word without making any mistakes first time? Well, it's S-O-U-R-C-E-R-O-R. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really difficult to even say it to for me. It's Anyways, as if English yeah. is Renee's first language and not yours, Alan. I'm speaking three languages in a single day all the time, man. I got two different types of Chinese and English and poor English at that too. And anyways, yeah, for me, because I'm kind of in a uh, in a travel mood. So tomorrow early morning, I'm actually taking off to go to Phuket. So I guess my pick would be definitely check out Thailand if you haven't. So it's really beautiful this time of the year. I think it's like 30 degrees Celsius, whatever the heck that means for you non-US people. So I think that's like, what is it, 80s or something in Fahrenheit? Anyways, I've been there one time before. It was quite nice. I went to Bangkok though, but this is my first time going to Phuket, which should be a little bit more touristy, a little bit more nice. So that's kind of my pick. And uh, with that... Fuck it. Uh, <laughs> that's another way to say it. <laughs> I <have to> say <laughs> that. Anyways, and with that, Renee, it's great having you on. It's great to, to meet you. And uh, I do thank you for the work. And yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of Credo. I, like I said, I never ran it before. Now I start using it some more. There's some checks I agree with, some I don't. And the cool part is that I have the choice to use or not use or even create my own checks, which I think is great. And I love that. Probably my most favorite part about the whole thing. So again, thanks for coming on and uh, hopefully I'll see you again in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. 